0: Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt. This is Pastor Adrian, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeofrigiera.com. Give it up for the one, the only, Adrian McClure. Take it away, baby. He just doesn't like to give that microphone up, you know what I mean? <laughs> So um, I am honestly just grateful to be here this morning. Um, As I was preparing this week for this agreement series and what I was going to preach about, I thought I was going to, with everything that's going on in the Ukraine and with what the world looks like and how we're feeling about it right now, I thought I'm going to preach about the Maccabees and kicking butt and taking names and, and just fighting for what they believed in. And the more I moved towards my my message, the more I realized I had to swap that, um, because the Holy Spirit was talking to me about pain and suffering. Great. (laughs) Really was excited. Yeah. Um, So if, if you weren't here in July, I preached a message on Job in July. And as I continued to pray and move forward with this, I... Just ask the Lord, you know, what do you want me to talk about? You want me to talk about Jonah? You want me to talk about the Maccabees? And he was like, no, I want you to preach about Job again, which a lot of people really don't like the book of Job because it's about pain and suffering. It can it can be a little hard to, to take at times and to, to really squeeze the goodness out of that book. Um, I personally love that book. It, it It's hard to read, but there's, there's so much there that is for us today and for us forever. Can I get an amen? yeah so it's really strange that, as I was doing this, I finished my message, and last night I was preparing, and um, I really don't know how to describe this. I had something that felt like a seizure, and it was really scary. Um, my whole body seized up. You ever see those ornamental like rope balls that people decorate with? It was like my body was trying to turn me into like this knotted thing. Um, we think it might have been like a rigor fit. Which I've never had in my life before, but um, it was real scary. And for a minute, I thought maybe I was going to die. And I want you to know that I'm here this morning because there's somebody who didn't want this message to get out. There's somebody who didn't want you here this morning to receive it. So my energy is a little bit lower. I'm sitting my tired butt down (laughs) um, because I feel like I got hit by a truck. But everything is gone. It felt like a spiritual attack when it happened. I happened to be on the page where I called the devil a loser a couple times. So you tell me. It seems like a spiritual attack, yeah? So it's not something that we're going to shy away from. Um, talking about pain and suffering is is a part of the Christian life. It's a part of the human life. And as Christians, we're just, we're given the tools that are unique to deal with this and to make it into something beautiful, right? Yeah. So my message this morning is called Freedom Ride, (laughs) and um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into it. Sound good? Jesus, thank you so much, Father God, that I am here this morning in the house of the Lord. I can't say I would have been upset had I gone to heaven, Um, but I am here, and I will continue to, to do your will and your good work as long as I am able, Father God. We are are grateful to gather in the house of the Lord. We are grateful to be able to lift our voices to you and declare that you are a good, good God. Jesus, we just pray that you be with us in this service, Lord, that this message would go out and and affect the hearts that it needs to touch. Jesus, and that you would ultimately be glorified And all of God's people said, Amen. So pain and suffering, is that what God intended for us? Personally, I do not think so. No. I think in the garden life was pretty good. Life was perfect. There was no there was no pain, there was no suffering because there was no division, there was no sin. We had not fallen. There was nothing outside of the will of God in the garden. And I believe that is what God's heart for humanity is, is for us to be returned once more to that garden. And amid our agreement series I wanted to start to examine some of the agreements that we've been making with pain and its fellows fear, and anxiety, and depression, and heartbreak. And if you don't take notes, start taking notes, because there's going to be a lot of stuff flying at you right now. You can grab your phone and just start filling that up, but we are going to get to it. Does anybody in this room know, like, never had pain and suffering in their life? Raise your hand. That's a bunch of booty right there. Of course, there's always going to be one guy, and of course, it's that guy. We don't know anybody who's never had pain and suffering. I've never known anybody that didn't have pain and suffering in their life. In Romans 3, 5, it says, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength and character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Amen. Amen, y'all. I love that last bit, how dearly he loves us. Do you feel dearly loved this morning? Okay, well, if you don't, you're going to feel dearly loved by the end of the service, okay? So it's, it's encouraging us in that scripture to rejoice in our hardships. <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't sound great, right? Rejoicing in our hardships sounds like, no, that sounds like the 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 opposite of what we want to do. I know that in my life, for a long time, I went going to try to avoid pain, right? That's kind of like what my point of my life was, was the avoidance of pain. And like I said, I, I preached about Job before, but the book of Job is a book of pain. And as I mentioned, all of us kind of struggle with that topic of pain and suffering. And Job, as we all know, I'm gonna kind of leaf through his story. But if you want to open it up on your phone or your Bible and kind of just flip through as I go, I'm gonna just shorten it up a little bit so we get the gist of what's going on. Um, there's so much in this book. There's so much hope that can be squeezed out of the Book of Job. I want to make sure that that's happening today when we leave. This is for a build-up and not a beat-down. And and I truly believe that this word and this message is for y'all today. And I truly believe that there is somebody watching online that really needs to hear this today as well. So as we know, Job was a a very wealthy businessman, um, and he was devout to the Lord. He loved him. Um, He had a very large family and lots of camels and donkeys, and he was bigger than Amazon, but he was humble about it. You know what I mean? So he was very, very affluent, and he was chasing after the heart of God, and we learn more about just how devout he is when it talks about when he would make sacrifices, not just for himself, like sin sacrifices, sin offering for himself, but he would do it for his children as well, just in case his children might have dropped a, a you know what, stub on their toe or something like that. He went out of his way to not only cover himself and make sure that he was good with the Lord, but that those around him were as well. And By all definitions, Job was a very, very good man. Like, he he was a good, good guy. In the first chapter, we see kind of this audience of God in heaven, and the angels are there. And then Satan, the accuser, also kind of comes into that that hangout, that holy hangout. And uh, the first observation I want to make is about shame. Has anybody ever felt shame before? Raise your hand. Yeah, right. So why do we feel shame? Perhaps it's because there's somebody who's shaming us. (laughs) Someone called the accuser, right? Um, He intends for shame to keep us out of connection with God, out of seeking God. If you haven't met somebody who's afraid to come to church because they feel shameful about what has taken place in their life or the decisions that they've made or how they've been treated or anything like that, that's the enemy trying to keep them where they are instead of allowing that reestablished connection to be made. So he's called the accuser, and shame comes from the enemy, does not come from God. Shame is a life sucking affliction that not only does not empower us, but is intended to keep us bound with accusation and without hope for freedom. So to say that again, shame comes from Satan and provides no way of change. And conviction, however, comes from the Holy Spirit. Not only does it empower us with the wisdom to change, but also the strength to do it. You hear me, people? (laughs) So when God asks Satan, you know, where this homie is, the accuser, where he's been, he says, oh, I've been going out all over the earth and just watching what I can see. That's what Satan's been doing, the accuser. He's been going around looking for people to... Accuse. So, um, who's afraid of the devil? Raise your hands. Anybody? That's okay. That's all right. To be honest with you, I understand that, because as a child growing up in the Catholic Church, the devil was a scary guy. He was a scary guy. He was all. He was everywhere all the time, especially under my bed or in dark closets or corners or whatever, watching and waiting to pounce on me. And I believe that in the Christian faith, our understanding of the devil, we give him way too much credit. Amen? Yeah. Okay, so this homie is, he is a singular person, and he, he knows he's really good at accusing and spinning those yarns and making us afraid. It says that he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but the difference is, is that the saints... Of the Lord do not have to fear him because we are equipped we are built up in spirit and truth and we are vigilant yes so he can't devour you if you're always on guard he can't devour you if you're always watching if you know who he is and you know the signs to look for he cannot devour you so like I said it says that he's traveling all over the earth observing what is happening And I think one of the things that's really great to recognize here is that Satan's powers are limited. He can only be in one place at a single time. Right? Yes? Is this new to people? It could be. I don't know. That's great. You're learning today. This is good. He can only be in one place at a single time. And that's why he has to go about observing. He does have some creepy, like, metaverse, demonic situation going on where it makes it feel like he's in a lot of different places at the same time. You know what I mean? Like the FB, like the Instagram, it's there, it's everywhere. You're in it, you're outside of it, it's in you. I don't know about that, but you know what I mean? He, that's, that is how he works, where God is omnipresent all of the time. He's always with us. He's always within us. His Holy Spirit is always within us. The devil can't function that way. And he, he's got to move around. And he's got to kind of use this creepy network of, of demonic influences to make the world look what it looks like today, Yeah. He's probably hovering over Russia right now, over Vladimir's bedroom. I don't really know what's going on, but I sense, I sense it. He can only be in one place at a single time. Everybody say, amen. So, like I said, God can be everywhere all the time. He's greater without a doubt. And as they're having this conversation, and, you know, Satan is saying, I've gone all over the place, I've looked, I'm observing— God does this thing that makes me cringe almost every single time. Um, he says, have you seen my servant Job? <laughs> He's the finest man on earth. He loves the Lord and he stays away from evil. And I'm like, Ugh, why would you do that? Uh, I wouldn't want my personal information given out to the enemy. He's got it. But I wouldn't want that. But It's like that Homer Simpson gif where he, like, backs into the bushes. Like, that's what I feel like. Like, I would just have backed into the bushes at that point. Like, oh, shoot, pray for Job. It's going to get real. And sometimes we can struggle with that, right? Like, why, why would that happen? But reading this, we're left to think that maybe the Lord is drawing Satan's attention to Job because perhaps in his wandering, he's overlooked Job and how holy and good of a man that Job is. But no, Satan responds to him, I know exactly who Job is. And he even tells the Lord that the reason that Job is the way that he is and has not faltered in his worship and love for the Lord is because he's been protected, set apart. But if he were to know hardship, if he were to know pain and suffering, he would renounce his faith like that. That That's what the enemy tells our God. God knew exactly what he was doing when he said, hey, have you seen my... Have you seen my servant Job? He knew exactly what he was doing. And it's a good thing he knew exactly what he was doing, as we'll see a little later. Um, Job was the perfect candidate to go through what he went through and for us to have the incredible book in our Bible that we do. Yes? And so it begins. Job goes on a journey through pain, betrayal, doubt, anger, fear, and heartbreak, all because of why he was a faithful man of God. Now, let me just assure you that if you're a new Christian in the place, this is not the norm. God doesn't just give out our information to the devil and say, look how holy and put together my my servant is over here. He He doesn't do that. Job was chosen for a reason to represent all of humanity. In this book, in this Bible, he represents all of humanity encountering suffering and pain. He wasn't test subject number 504, some rando on the highway. He was chosen with specific intent and detail for us to study and squeeze all the hope juice out of this book that we can. Because God knew that after the fall, life was going to be really tough for us. We're going to need as much encouragement as we can get. If there wasn't a book in this Bible that was specifically about pain and suffering, how how could we relate? Right? Right? How could we relate? So I just want to clarify that God did not bring these afflictions on Job. Satan did. God simply allowed him to be tested, which, again, I know that is hard to hear. But if it wasn't here and it hadn't happened and it hadn't happened to the right guy, it would not have been the book that it is today. It would not have stood the test of time. It would not be encouraging us in 2022. Amen. So Satan, he is a cocky little son of a gutter ball. He strides into heaven and he says, he doesn't say maybe if you take away everything that Job has, maybe if he knows suffering, he'll renounce you. He declares to the God of the universe, if you, if he knows pain and suffering, he will denounce you. He'll walk away from his faith. To me, that just makes me feel more confident because the devil is an idiot. He's, he is so stupid. He is completely undermining God at every step, and he is sleeping on all y'all giants in the room. Am I right? He acts like he knows what's going to happen already, and it's like, bro, you've lost. Like, you lost a long time ago, and the deal was sealed when Jesus went down. And he died for our sins, and he came back up so that we could be in right standing with the Lord. Amen? Satan is that guy. He is that guy. And to cut to the end, like I said, Satan is wrong, obviously. Um, Satan is a loser. And I'll say it again Satan is a loser, and he's a poor loser. So he's going to kick and he's going to scream and he's going to bite and he's going to tear and he's going to do whatever he can do to make this life challenging for us. And I think last night he didn't want to kill me because he knows I'm down to go to heaven. I'm like, Lord, if it's your will and it's my time to go, bless up. See you all later. See you on the other side. You know what I mean? This girl is ready to powwow. I'm ready to go. And this, he doesn't do that. That's not how he moves. He wants you to suffer. He wants it to suck. And if you're declaring the name of Jesus over your situation and you're on your knees and your husband's dumping a gallon of oil, olive oil on the top of your head, anointing you and playing the shofar at midnight in the bathroom, then that's what is going to happen, okay? We have to get naturalized to the supernatural. That has to become natural for us, okay? Because we are dealing with a loser who only has supernatural means to really bring about affliction. Okay, Kay? I just wanna make a small caveat that the life of a Christian is pockmarked with pain. It is what it is. And for a leader who is a Christian, a Christian leader and a shepherd, it's, it's even more so. It's pockmarked with our pain and it's pockmarked with the pain of the body. And the only way that we get through is by heavily leaning on our Jesus because Satan wants to destroy leadership. So just just keep it in the back of your mind. Always be praying for your leadership. I mean even even political leadership. Always be praying for leadership. If someone is a leader of people, you pray over that person even if you do not like them. You pray over that person for conviction of the Holy Spirit, for a movement of God, for protection. You pray for the for God to move and to protect them. Yes? So as I was saying, and I'll say it again, Satan is a loser. And this book is less about the issue we feel about God allowing suffering to come and more about this being a depiction of suffering and pain for us to be encouraged by. We go on to see Job suffer extreme loss. He loses all of his children in one go. Anything he had of substance is raided, destroyed, or stolen. He suffers physically with sickness. There's a pustule situation. They're scraping. It's really gross. So he has sickness. He has sickness in his body. And he suffers betrayal. Job questions what he could have done. What could he possibly have done? Because he's going back through and he's thinking of all the stuff that's happened, how he's he's praised the Lord, every good movement of God, he does not know what has come about for his life to look this way. And his friends, who, they go on for chapters and chapters about the ways he could have sinned, he must have sinned, and that is bringing about all of the stuff that he is now going through. His wife even tells him to curse God and die. Wow. So marriage counseling for that couple. And it's a good thing God wasn't like, have you seen my servant Jill, Job's wife? Because that book would have been two chapters long, and we wouldn't get nothing out of it, and it wouldn't even made it in here. You know what I'm saying? Job was chosen for a reason. And someone shared this um, bit of encouragement with me this week, and it says, God doesn't give his hardest battles to his toughest warriors. He creates the toughest warriors through life's hardest battles. Amen? Is that good? I'm going to say it again. God doesn't give his hardest battles through his, to his toughest warriors. He creates his toughest warriors through life's hardest battles. And that is so encouraging to me. I love that so much. There is an agreement that is made with the Lord of hope that can get us through any battle that comes our way versus an agreement that is made with pain, sickness, betrayal, causes discouragement, and ultimate failure. As we read on, Job handles his, does he handle his situation perfectly? No, not really. But he does a pretty good job. He does better than me. I'm assuming potentially better than you. I don't know all of you as well as I should. But he, he does his best. He gets on his face before the Lord. He asks his friends to to pray over him, to speak over him. And he gets nothing but death. And his suffering is so great. After his friends have had their chance to tell him how crappy of a person he obviously is for everything that's going on in his life right now, Job cries out to the Lord, and he even curses the day that he was born. That's how bad it gets. In the end, he gets to speak directly with God. And by that, he, he, I mean he has a, an encounter with the holiest of holies. He gets to have a conversation with God, where God describes who he is, and who God is, is, the great, is greater than anything that this life could ever throw at any of us. Amen? And why is that? It's because God is holy. There are things in this life that are, will be a mystery forever. I will never understand them, you will never understand them, and you're going to have to deal with it. That's just the way that it goes. It's the way the cookie crumbles, you know what I mean? And I, I know some people who are uptight and they want to know everything, and it's just like, bro, don't. Don't, don't scratch that thing, you're going to like bust it open. Like, Just don't do that. Leave it. There's stuff, there's mystery in this life that is meant to remain mystery. And I've seen more people fall away from their faith because they're trying to reveal and uncover and understand that mystery than just being comfortable in the supernatural nature of our God. Yeah? So this week I was reading in Psalms about David, and he said the following, "'My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? "'Why are you so far away when I groan for help? "'Every day I call you, my God, but you do not answer.'" Every night I lift my voice and I find no relief, yet you are holy. And I think that's what it's all about, that God is holy still. Regardless of what our situation looks like, he is holy, he maintains his holiness. Even though I don't understand why I'm hurting myself or why I'm seeing people in my life who are hurting all the time, God is holy and he is above those situations that we encounter. Like I said, I don't grasp everything that happens, and I don't understand why, but I am getting pretty okay with that. Yeah? That's an, an area where we all can grow in, yes? And, and I think that Job, in many ways, is a precursor for Jesus, and we see these throughout the Bible. Uh, a precursor just means like a forerunner, somebody who came before. Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, Isaac was kind of a precursor to Jesus to the point where he carried his own he carried the logs upon which he would be sacrificed and burned to up to the point where he was supposed to die, just like Jesus carried his cross to Calvary. Obviously, Isaac didn't die. It was, it was not a complete process there, but that is a precursor of, of the Jesus, of the God-man that would come. Jonah in the whale's stomach for three days, as if dead, spit out to be alive once more. Jesus being in the tomb for the same amount of time, Jonah still walked in disobedience. He still chose to walk in disobedience. And Jesus gave everything he had to the letter. He closed that circle where all of these precursors could not. And Job suffered every shade of pain Satan could throw at him. Jesus would come to do the same, suffer loss, physical pain, betrayal, abandonment by those he loved. And ultimately, he would die where Job does not. Job does not die. He actually has a really great ending of his story. I'm going to leave you all to experience that yourself okay? The key difference is, is that Jesus never questioned why God was doing what he was doing and what was happening. He never questioned the reason why. Did it mean he loved everything that was happening? Absolutely not. Jesus knew pain and suffering to the utmost degree. He understood that. His homies that he'd been rocking with, they 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 denounced him. They walked away from him. They betrayed him. They denied him three times. Like, one of his own guys turned him over and and We have the story that we do. Job suffered every pain. Jesus suffered all our pain. (laughs) Job suffered every pain, but Jesus suffered all our pain. The Key difference here is that Jesus never questioned what God was doing. He knew who he was. He knew he had been placed on this earth to die as a sacrifice, to restore God's heart to humanity's heart. He bridged the gap. And when I'm talking about the agreements that we're making in our lives, if we're making them with the God of hope or we're making them with other things, if we suffer from anxiety. What would it look like if instead making an agreement with that anxiety and letting it attack our minds and our bodies and ultimately our actions, what if we made an agreement with the will of God? That he is for us, that he's not against us, and therefore whatever happens— If it's your worst nightmare, or if it's every prayer you've ever prayed, God is still holy. He's still with you. He's still for you. He is still holy. Don't make an, an agreement with heartache and death. Make your agreement with hope and the giver of life. Don't make your agreement with sickness that you see. Instead, reject that sickness and make an agreement with the healing that is yours in Jesus Christ. Your healing is guaranteed. Everybody in this room Everybody, your healing is guaranteed. If you don't see it on this side of heaven, it is guaranteed in heaven, right? So we pray because we believe that we will see a movement of God. And if we don't see healing come, it comes no matter what. There is nothing that the enemy can do to stop that. That healing will come. He has lost. He is under our heels. Sickness is under our heels in Jesus' name. It is a guarantee. Yeah, that should make us all feel great. Come on, baby. Don't make an agreement with fear. Make an agreement with gratitude for the things in your life that you have and that you have seen as evidence of the goodness of God in the land of the living. Don't make an agreement with a political party and give it your ability and give it the ability to control the way you see the world and the people in it, which we have like this hyper spastic situation happening right now where that's happening for everybody. Everybody's so attached to what's happening in the media and all the things telling us what to think and what to say and how to feel about people. Make an agreement with the word of God and what it says about the world that will be restored back onto him in due time and that we must not let our love grow cold no matter how dark the world gets, right? If the enemy is twisting somebody up inside and they're being awful to you, the last thing they're gonna expect is for you to love them. And if you think about it, it makes no sense, but it makes all the sense in the world. They're exactly the juxtaposition that we need to have that God product flowing in our lives, in our relationships, in Jesus' name. Don't make an agreement with your brokenness, but rather with the redemption and redeeming that has been made yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. Make your agreement with the possible in impossible times, with the perfect one in the face of brokenness and imperfection, and let your agreement lie with the supernatural instead of the natural. God blesses all of these things. And in this message, the design and the, the intent of my heart was to help us to examine the areas in our lives where we've been making agreements with things that are lesser than God's best for us, yes? And to help us direct those agreements back to the Holy One, the only one who can make sense of the senseless, who is strong enough to hold us together when we're absolutely falling apart and gives us peace when our souls are on fire. We are on a journey through this life. We begin as a spiritual being and we're slapped on this body we travel from point A to point B and then we shuck that body and our soul goes back to God in absolute perfection that we cannot even fathom at this time. And I wanted to make the parallel of of what that journey could look like. <laughs> so did anybody ever play Oregon Trail when they were a kid? <laughs> not something to celebrate, but yes, that was definitely one that, I got that notification way too many times. Um, so my parents are excellent. If you have not met them, you need to meet them. They're amazing people. But we were only allowed to play educational games into my house for a very, very long time. And um, Oregon Trails was a staple. The graphics were horrible, um, but it, it was entertaining. It was, it was fascinating. Um, and a history lesson, the Oregon Trail was actually a real deal. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah? Okay, sweet. Um, it was hard. It was awful. It was deadly. In the 90s, somebody was just like, wow, this would make a great kids game. Boom. Then you got it. And all of us, almost all of us have played it. Anyways, the real deal in the 1800s was that America was still, like, formulating itself. And then we had the Civil War, nearly guts the country, we're kind of falling apart, really don't know what we're doing. And then there's this massive movement of a lot of immigrants and a lot of Americans who are moving from one side of the nation all the way to the other. And they called it Manifest Destiny. And while that, is, that term itself sounds really cool, Manifest Destiny, it's, oh, yeah, that was the, that's it right there, shooting gum. Um, Manifest Destiny sounds cool, but it was awful. It was awful. It meant that we were pushing indigenous persons out of their homes, and it was a just a horrible, horrible, ugly thing. And I have to say that before moving on because I got a big heart for that. If you ever want to talk about it, I'm down to talk, okay? You know it. All right, so that's that's the trail right there. And um, it sounds like it would be, you know, like a beautiful journey. Like you would just like get to see all of, all of the U.S., right? Except um, it was a physical journey. You didn't take a train. You took a horse or you took a covered wagon and you traveled over 2,000 miles from Willamette, from Missouri, in Independence, Missouri to Willamette Valley, Oregon. You would travel by covered wagon for six months, y'all. So obviously this is U.S. and we have a winter time. And the the winter in Michigan lasts six months. So, I mean, if you're thinking about it, conditions were not great. Yeah? And they were families. These weren't just like young people who were hiking across the young nation. These were children and pregnant women and old people. And it was treacherous. To me, I think it's really interesting that it starts in independence. Because our juni- our journeys in human life also start in independence from the will of God. We have the ability to choose what we want to do. We have independence, right? I thought that was very clever. Nobody gave me any credit for it. And it pretty much, pretty much, the game is a game of choices. You would choose what to do, when to do it, and then you would get the results of those choices. And, and hopefully you would not die of dysentery. You would, obviously, the goal was to make it all the way across to Oregon. It was grueling, it was punishing, and it was deadly. And a vast amount of people who traveled these trails, like I said, were immigrants. They were fleeing either religious persecution or governmental, social persecution. And they came to America and they knew nothing about America. They knew nothing about how we all live here, what it looks like, the plains, the poisonous things and what you can't eat. I mean, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. And even the people who lived here in America that knew, as they were translocating, that knew that Montana has the harshest winters and that you're supposed to boil your water before you drink it or you're going to die pooping your guts out. Like, they, they might have known what a rattlesnake looks like, but that doesn't mean that they always saw the rattlesnake. You know what I mean? There was just stuff that was designed to end you and they, they knew nothing about it. They knew nothing about what they were getting into. Now, if you ever look up uh, a pioneer woman, this is, you, you, this is what you get when you type in pioneer woman. I have no idea who that woman is, but she definitely does not look like a pioneer. She has all of her teeth and clearly a, a well-rounded diet. She also appears quite clean. Doesn't strike me as a real pioneer woman. However, if you go to the next slide, there you have it. There's a pioneer gal. She's doing the thing and she's, she's pioneering. What is she doing? She's collecting buffalo chips. What are those, you may ask? It's buffalo crap that dries into a hard disk-like wooden thing that you use for fuel and you cook your food over it. Appetizing. There was a lot of stuff that they had no idea what they were getting into when they decided to go on this journey. And that that right there, that is a tough gal because she's doing it all and probably wearing a corset, which props because holy cow. There were things that people had to learn on this journey. They had to learn how to engage the terrors that came their way. And it was all to get to Oregon. That was the point of this journey was to travel all the way to Oregon because they believed it was paradise on earth. The land was free. They believed that it would be paradise. So if we recognize the journey in our independence to get to choose the decisions that we make and the agreements that we make with different things we experience in our lives, then I think it's safe to say that we're on a similar journey. Yes? We don't get the notifications, you have died of dysentery or your oxen have died due to extreme drought or Jill has broken her arm. We don't get that. But we do get From our media, from our news sources, from our friends and our family, the world is on fire right now. There's no hope. Everything is out of control. And if you don't support the right idea, you'll be canceled and trolled into oblivion. You get that gender and biological sex no longer exist. Men aren't men. Women aren't women. So who are you? What do you got to say about it? There is no truth anymore. It's a choose-your-own-adventure, identity, gender game. What I'm trying to get across this morning is, to every single person, is that pain and suffering is a part of our lives here as humans. Not even just Christian lives. There are atheists who will know pain. There are Buddhists who will know pain. No one escapes. That is like the curse of this world, is that it is filled with pain and is filled with suffering. The difference is, is how we make that journey through that pain. If the band wants to come on up here, I'm going to get ready to wrap this up. When I see the same person that comes into church week after week, and they're saying that they feel disconnected from God, and they don't hear from God, and they don't know what to do, I know that the agreements that they're making in their life and in their journey, they're making agreements and attachments to things that are keeping them in the same place. There's a very good chance that they know what they have to do, but they choose not to do it. Why? Why? I don't know. I've been there myself. There's been lots of things that I've been called to do that I've chosen not to do, and it's tough. There are some people who come in the doors and they refuse to make, who refuse to make an, Ill, uh, an agreement with illness in their bodies, and they see healing. Some people see it miraculously in the moment. Sometimes it takes months and years, but they have decided to make an agreement that they have with God that he has more to say about their identity than any sickness does. Amen. Some are in a journey and a struggle, and they are struggling desperately with, sing- with seasons of singleness. I've seen women who become so embittered towards men because of the hurts that they've suffered, that they are just the crusty little crouton, and you gotta bust those crusties off, you know what I mean? Like, it can happen to all of us. I've seen guys who will date any, any woman who looks his way, and they wind up with this sense and this feeling of outright rejection and that they're unlovable instead of believing and making an agreement with the fact that they're created by a God in his image who is a God of love. That's right. The obvious parallel for the Oregon Trail traveling from independence and what they thought was paradise and our journeys through our living days from infancy, infancy to sainthood and the life that eventually ends in death where we get to go and be with our God again what we choose to let us guide us matters, yes? We have free Bibles out there. If you, don't, if you don't have one of these guys, help yourself. If you want a better one, I'll buy you one, okay? This is a like leather edition, vegan, not genuine leather, but still very nice. It's a great book and we need this to guide us on our way. Many of the people who traveled the Oregon Trail, they would have these these booklets, these books that would come out that would advise you on, on how to do it, advise you on what to eat and what not to eat, where to go and what not to go. And unfortunately, many of these guidebooks were pretty unreliable. They straight up stunk. And some of them were filled with downright lies. There's this guy that Langston... Wait, Lansford Hastings, he wrote a guidebook. It's called The Immigrant's Guide to Oregon and California in 1845. And he recommends a shortcut where the most direct route from California would be to leave the Oregon route about 200 miles east of Fort Hall. I think anybody who's telling you to leave the path is, there. you got to question that, right? Yeah, yeah. So he he describes this path that they're meant to take. And he says on this route, um, wagons can be readily taken to these forts. There's going to be help. There's going to be, you're not going to be out there in the wilderness alone, okay? And um, it turns out that a particular party used his book and they were called the Donner Party. Has anybody heard of them? Mom knows what's up. So they attempted taking Hastings' um, proposed shortcut, which, by the way, he had never traveled himself. He had never traveled himself. He put it out there for people who are traveling for a new life with children and families. He had never traveled it himself. Jesus has traveled this entire book back and forth and over again since the beginning of time. They got so lost. They got so broke down Half the party perished, and they resorted to cannibalism to survive. They had no food for 10 days, and they were eating each other. We have this book, and it's filled with good news. And it has books in it like Job for guidance to push us on and encourage us. Devour this thing, not your neighbor. Can I get an amen? The agreements that we make in our life and on our journey will determine the condition which we arrive before our King. We can be saved, redeemed on our way to heaven, and we can be the walking wounded without a, a single life-giving thing to say, without belief in the supernatural. We can love God, but we can walk in this life like the walking dead, and that is not what we're called to do, yeah? The decisions that we make in accordance to this book and the holy spirits the holy spirit will determine the condition that we arrive before the king in the end of our journey as we go into this last song i'm going to pray for the holy spirit to reveal and i want you to just close your eyes and just pray inwardly that if there's any area in your life where you feel that you've made an agreement, you've begun gun to make an agreement, or you had made an agreement and you hadn't realized, if there is any area in your life where an agreement has been made where you've settled for less than what God has for you, which is literally everything, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will move and give you the strength that you need to make that change. Amen? Jesus, thank you so much, Father God, for your people. Thank you that we get to gather in your name. Thank you for providing us with health and wisdom and what we need to make our journey from the beginning to the end. We wanna make that journey well, Father, and I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move and move powerfully in this room. God, that every single person, Jesus, it would be revealed to them areas of their lives where they've made agreements with things with people, with feelings, with identity, with ideas that simply are not true, Lord. You have more for us, God. I pray that that would be revealed, and I pray for the strength and the energy and the courage to do something about it. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's people said, amen.